All right, good evening, everyone, and welcome inside the 360 Sports Show. I'm Andrew Pizzelli, he is Christian Lauber, and we are coming to you live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. We are going to get into the NBA Finals, some other NBA news, news from the NHL and their playoffs, and anything else you want to in the comment sections of any of the live streams. Hit us up there. Christian, let's get her rolling and discuss games one and two of the NBA Finals. The series between the Celtics and the Warriors is even at a game apiece. But what have we learned through two games now? A comeback win for the Celtics, kind of a a game that was close and then became a blowout city for the Warriors. Have we learned anything through these two games? Uh, yeah, I don't feel great if I'm the Celtics, I'll be honest. Now, I mean, coming from me, what does that actually mean? Because I say <laughs> that anyway. But uh, the third quarter is a huge issue. I'll say that. Um, I, I meant to do this before and I forgot. But uh, the third quarter is a massive, massive issue. I don't even know what the Celtics scored, but I know it wasn't great. And 14. the Warriors. Yeah. So there you go. You had it. The uh, Warriors, on the other hand, I think it's 68 points in combined games one and two third quarters and they blew doors in in game one and then you had a lights out fourth quarter in game one uh which you have proven that you can do multiple times if you're the celtics you've done it throughout the whole postseason where you get you have so many guys there that can get hot it's just ridiculous and uh jalen brown was a catalyst for that whole thing by the way but uh and then game two the warriors changed some things up and they were uh, you know, it was a close game, I would say, for the majority of the first half with the Warriors going on a little bit of a couple runs there. With those two exceptions, though, the third quarters have not been good, and you were a, 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 hell, a perfect fourth quarter. If you didn't have that fourth quarter that you did in game one, you get blown out in two games here. So um, I don't really feel great about it. I think the Celtics need to adjust a bit here uh, going into game three. You're home. And here's why. Here's the other reason why I don't feel good. With the exception of the Nets series throughout the postseason, the Celtics have come home and not played great. They've had some really sleepy efforts at home. So most years, you'll say, wow, steal one in game one. Now you're coming back here, 1-1. I mean, that's just, it's ridiculous. You're in the driver's seat. Not the case for the Celtics team. They're really good on the road. They're, they're mostly competitive on the road. And they have been throughout. And then they come home and they have an absolute dud uh, or a couple duds. They've had multiple chances at home to either take a real stranglehold and they can't do it or win a series, i.e. Miami, can't do it. So I, I know everybody wants to say, well, they're, they're coming home. They got the crowd. That really hasn't proven to be, uh, be much of anything for the Celtics team. Does it matter that game one, they won game one and then game two happened the way it happened? in terms of feeling that way, like if the Celtics had gotten blown out in game one, came back and then had that comeback like they did in game two, do you feel different about coming home? Is it because of like the order of operations? You know what I mean? In terms of perception and momentum and like sure. that Celtics win, like you said, huge to steal one on the road. And I thought game one was the stealable game. Because the Warriors have been sitting, they've been resting, you're coming off a, a, a really gritty, grinding series. And the Warriors kind of looked a little bit tired, and I think the Celtics in Game 1 just kept punching and punching and punching like the desperate team. 
and then they break through and have the fourth quarter, and the Warriors look a little shell-shocked, but hey, they've been there, done that. Post-game, all they could say was, we're not worried, we're not worried at all, it's one game, blah, 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 blah. And for the first half of game two, it's kind of like, this is kind of the same script. Like, are the Celtics going to pull away and, like, win this game, too? And then you can't just say, oh, we've been here, done that. Now you're down 2 nothing. But then they, the Warriors blow doors. And the Celtics had a lot to do with that. Is there any momentum for Boston coming back? I know it's tied 1-1, but because it was game one that they won, do they lose that momentum coming back? Uh, no, I think it's just completely, I, I don't know the way these, these series have gone, especially for the Celtics team. Look, I, I've watched some games sporadically, but I haven't paid attention to game by game, series by series for every single team in the league. But, uh, for, for from a Celtic standpoint, it feels like, well, they lose game one in Miami, then win game two, then come back here and they're turning the ball over like they were in game two of golden state. And when they turn the ball over like that, forget about it. They're, they're screwed. Um, the the one thing that I thought maybe going into game two, obviously you know the refs are going to push for for Golden State. They're, that that's clear. This is what the NBA is. Um, but uh, I I thought going into game two you might have somewhat of the momentum just based on well I don't know Golden State just got blown out in the fourth quarter. They couldn't stop anything, and they obviously they've been there. But then you push game to two. Tatum sucked in game one. Yep, and here he comes get game two and he's playing pretty good in the first half. I would say almost lights out uh, at least from beyond the arc. Uh, Jalen Brown got, to, I don't know. Draymond kind of mucked up game two. Like, and I think that played into the Warriors advantage a bit, but I thought they might be better off in game two based on how game one ended. Yeah. But based on the Celtics, this Celtics team is very strange. It's not like your normal lose two on the road, win two at home, and then one, one, one. And and you either win or lose in the game seven. They're they're very road heavy so far in this postseason. So coming back home, I feel like they should carry momentum even though they lost game two just because you have the crowd, you have the energy. But there's just – it's just – There's no track record there of it. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes game three must win for Boston. Do you feel then that – Whoever wins game three probably wins this series. Yeah, I would say I trend that way. Um, but again, you have to get one at home and then see where you're at. Because this is why I think this series could go six in favor of the Warriors, maybe because I think they might just be the better team. They're a good team. Uh, but also, on the flip side of it, it could go seven just based on the Celtics get to game seven and then who knows what happens in game seven. Yeah. Uh, just the way these series have gone. But uh, the Celtics need to adjust. I think the Warriors adjusted from one to two, and I think the Celtics need to do the same from two to three. It's going to be a game of adjustments because I think, and Ime already mentioned it earlier, hinted at, at a couple of those adjustments. But uh, the turnovers were a huge problem, and one key part for the Warriors was Draymond obviously doing what he does, which was just absolutely abysmal not, to watch. Not, not play basketball. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and get all the calls. P- pancake block people. <laughs> um, and then the NBA comes on the air. Their their head league official says, "Well, we can't. We we're not going to give double technicals if a guy already has one. Uh, so that's good. You know, we already knew. You know, now we confirm that. Uh, but on the flip side of it, I think they made some adjustments. One of which was Clay Thompson guarding Al Horford and yeah. playing him more as he's going to stand on the three point line and shoot threes. 
guard him out there, and when he gets in the post, whack at the ball and take it away. And that's pretty much what they did. So there needs to be somewhat of an adjustment, and I think the Celtics bench players, Derek White, I think, has been very good. Grant Williams has been a nothing, and Pritchard was good in one, not in two. So yeah, they need to up their level because you guys, you got guys like Poole and even Bayalitsa came in and played pretty well in game two. And, and, and they have a deep team over there, and I think you need a little more from your bench. Yeah, I think I agree with that, like the adjustment thing. Like game two, the Warriors were bringing the fight. They were getting up and into the Celtics, mm-hmm, and sure. the Celtics were getting bothered by it. Now, the Celtics defensively for the first half were, were kind of doing what they did in game one, but there wasn't necessarily an intensity there. The Celtics, I think, felt like they were playing well and were trying to not kind of get down into the mud and, and let their them get away from their game. Mm-hmm. And then they and then they did just that. <laughs> they they started turning the ball over and it led to complaining and then Draymond started doing what he was doing and then guys started getting into not the game. And yeah. it all the wheels just fell off defensively, offensively. And one of those adjustments too, like you said, Al Horford. I love the guy. He's been lights out. Um, did not look at all the same. I don't know if that's because of like, hey, they had the time off and hey, rested out for game one. Boom. Amazing. Looked a little tired for, for game two. Uh, now he didn't play. Most guys didn't play most of the fourth quarter because I don't even think Alice played a minute in the fourth quarter. But I'll tell you what, if he's being guarded by smaller guys, he's got to go up, man. I mean, there's t- I know they like to get in and kick out and get a three if, a, if it's open. But, like, dude, you got Steph Curry on you and you're five feet from the rim? Just go up. Yeah. And guys, like, they're doubling him. Like, he's he's too heavy with his right hand. Like, you're just kind of, like, going right into the guy sagging from the corner is, go- is just playing that right hand. He's got to go, like, throw the shoulder and then turn with the left hand. I mean, I got to watch now. Go back. Does Al Horford just not have a left-hand hook shot? I, I, I mean, don't he, think so. He's such a polished player. I mean, I just assume he does, but maybe he doesn't. I think it's mainly, if you just ask me right off the jump, he's got a right jump hook. That's all I've seen. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's like one of those little adjustments is like if he's inside, like the Celtics need to use their size. They have the size advantage. If well, the they got players... rebounded in game two, too, which is yeah. another problem. Well, a lot of those two, the problem is when guys are shooting it from 40 feet away, yeah, the I know, rebounds yeah. are going to go problem. way yeah, outside. And they're missing shots. Um, so... Uh, the thing I take away though, and I, I, we kind of agree on all the same points, but I look at it and say, I think it's more about the Celtics than it is the Warriors. I think the Warriors showed in game one and two exactly who they are. They can get really streaky and hot, like as a team. Um, but then Steph can have a great first quarter. And then in a way, like down the stretch in game four, uh, game one in the fourth quarter, the Warriors stopped moving the ball. They just were like, hey, it's Steph's yeah. game. Like, give the ball to Steph. And he's 100%. and he's jacking up 35-footers because he can't get anywhere. And they're blitzing him and trapping him. And nobody else wants to shoot because, whoa, whoa, whoa we got to let Steph take the shots in the fourth quarter. Um, so they can kind of become a victim of their own success. Mm-hmm. Um, game two, Poole, who had a bad game one, he's hitting shots. Uh, Clay Thompson had, hit a couple of timely shots here or there. But, like... Him, Thompson, and Wiggins, like, I was expecting way more. And I was thinking that the Celtics could get run off the floor, um, which they haven't. It's really just been Steph, 
honestly. And yeah, Poole hits some crazy shots, but I think the Celtics are going to live with that because Poole, despite that, is still a minus. Like, they're not... Yeah. Defensively, he's not enough for them. So, like, I feel like the Warriors obviously a very, very, very good team. But if the Celtics just don't turn the ball over, and if they just play smart offensively, like, intelligently offensively, they should win. You just hit on a key guy on accident, too. Well, I, I mentioned the bench. Where, where it starts is Smart, Horford, and Rob Williams. I don't think they played much of a factor in game two. No. Those guys need to be much more of a factor. And like Colin says in the comments, should Smart get into the dirt like Draymond to try to mentally right the ship? Or is that not necessary for the season at this point? I don't think it's necessarily necessary, but I think Smart's physicality and, and, and engagement, intensity, sure, from game one to two was night and day. I, I think he was... I, I know a lot of, like, you read a lot about how, like, you know, all these trolls want to say, well, he got benched in game one basically until because they were going on a huge run and he didn't like it maybe for coming into game two. But smart from game one to game two was a complete difference. And yeah. I don't think he necessarily needs to be running guys over and tackling guys and no. putting your shoe in. Daniel Tice is for that. I said I need I needed Daniel Tice to close line somebody at the end of game two. That's the per that's the guy. I need I need Daniel Tice to do something. Let's start there. But that's what I'm saying. You don't want any of your stars to get into the mud like that. Like you need like Tice, Grant Williams. Grant Williams seems like the kind of guy who would like, you know, Kurt Rambis somebody. You know, Kevin McHale but, just give you the clothesline. Yeah, look. but 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 I'm not even talking about that stuff necessarily. But smart. He, no, what his, happened his to intensity. what happened to like uh, I'm I'm the defensive player of the year. I'm going to take you out of the game. I'm going to do this. I'm going to which I think he defends Steph really well. Their pick and roll defense. Less so. I mean, I think the guy, whoever is playing off of Smart to catch the guy coming off the pick. Oh, they got to they got to step up way quicker. Yeah, you got to step up him. fast. He's going to shoot it from forty feet. But yeah. I think Smart from game one to game two is key. I think does he need to like be Draymond and start like you know diving on people, kicking people in the nuts, and doing no. whatever else he's doing? Pulling pants no. down. Yeah, pulling your pants down and pantsing you and spanking your butt and doing all this weird crap no but does he need to be in someone's grill uh basically defending someone in their shorts yeah and being aggressive and and have an intensity absolutely because then yeah. without that without the defensive side of the ball and he's not he's not making shots or com con contributing on the offensive side what is marcus smart doing out there yeah and as a team the celtics cannot fall in love with the three you cannot get into one of these three for alls with the Warriors, you will lose. Celtics had what an eleven-point lead at one point, I think, in the mm -hmm. in the sec early second quarter. Yep. And there was like five possessions in a row. Now, granted, they moved the ball, but they were going for threes. They were trying to work it. They were like looking for another home run shot. Guess what? If on just two of those possessions, you came down because they were getting stops and just like got a high efficient, like went to the rim, get fouled. Make a layup. Like the points in the paint thing, the Celtics cannot lose points in the paint yeah, to, a team, to a team that wants to shoot threes. You can't lose points in the paint to the degree they did. Now a lot of that was because of transition. You turn the ball over, you know the balls. The, the, yeah, the ball's going right at the rim, um, and it was like forty something points off turnovers. It was it was atrocious. So, and most of those came in the paint because they were in transition. So the Celtics, you have to not fall in love with 
You know, it's like Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens would say it all the time. Don't hit home runs, hit singles. That applies to when you have the lead just as much as when you're trailing, you know, trying to just work your way back and chip away. Incrementally add to a lead. Don't say, oh, we're up 11. If I hit this step back three, you know, we're up 14. We and like, no, because that other team could can barrage threes. There's, there's no lead that is going to phase them. Just keep methodically executing. That's I mean, what the, the Warriors, Celtics need to do. The Warriors based uh, basically blew doors off turnovers. They scored 33 points on the 19 turnovers of the Celtics. Ugh. 33 points off turnovers, and they were plus 16 in the paint, like you were just mentioning. Yeah, That's a recipe for disaster for the Celtics. That, yeah. that just cannot happen. Colin also says, Celtics could publish a baking recipe book dedicated entirely to turnovers. Yeah, it was... 100%. Yeah. What they were cooking on uh, Wednesday, uh, Sunday, bad. Um, so let's kind of uh, look ahead to, to Game 3, and then we'll, we'll kind of play out how we think the rest of the series is going to go here, because we'll have, what, Games 3 and 4? Uh, in the books by the time we uh, retake the air on Monday, correctamundo, right? I don't think we're gonna get Game. three. I don't think we're gonna get three games in the next. Seven yeah, we days. might because there's one. There's only one day in between the games in Boston, I believe. Let's see. Why guess when we Wednesday, can look? Friday, Monday, probably. Oh yeah, nine p.m. So uh, maybe we maybe we do another Tuesday show uh, next week. Uh, so we can discuss Game 5. Because it might be over by then. Oh, God! <laughs> yeah, Celtics in 5, baby! Um, I honestly was feeling, um, if the Celtics won Game 2, I said, they're going to come back, they'll split in Boston, and then they'll go win Game 5 because they just love to win on the road. Uh, at this point, um, I'll tell you how I think it will go. So let's talk about Game 3. Um, a lot of the stuff we've already kind of said here, but... Uh, very simply, what do the Celtics need to do to win, and who does win Game Three? Uh, they need to not turn the ball over. I mean, if you thirteen turnovers in Game One, I think if they get less than fifteen turnovers, they're in good shape. There is a winning record somewhere in there. I don't know the exact stat; I couldn't find it. But uh, under fifteen turnovers for the Celtics team, really good results. Over that, terrible, as pretty much you should expect. Uh, the Celtics need to get back what they did more in game one. And I think Tatum can be solid and not absolutely dreadful like he was in game one, and you'll be in good shape. But uh, they need more from what I just mentioned. Marcus Smart obviously needs to give you a, a lot more than he did, and I think White's been good to kind of fill that role. But if the two of them are going, you're in good shape. Uh, they need to be much more aggressive on defense. You cannot let Steph just shoot from wherever he wants. He's going to make them... 90% of the time. That's just what he does. Um, and don't turn the ball over. That's the biggest key to any of these games throughout the postseason. If the Celtics don't turn the ball over, the game will be close. If they turn it over more than 16, 17 times and they're in the 20, low 20s, look out. I mean, it's blowout city, especially against a team that's just going to uh, you know, hit from half court or wherever they want. And also the key to game three for me as well, no uh, Zach Zarba. <laughs> yeah, officiating. Um, I, like I said, through two games, I'm not overly impressed with Wiggins or Thompson. Um, so, you know, I think those guys have played okay. I haven't seen them play great. If the Warriors want to win games easily, you know, if one of those two guys steps up and has a monster game, the Warriors will win. Because uh, right now it's mostly just Steph. So if you're the Celtics, 
Just make things difficult for Steph and the whole team. Play up the intensity and the physicality. You don't need to get into the shenanigans like Draymond Green, but you can turn it into a physical series. I think that benefits the Celtics, given the series they've come through, is making the game more physical. Um, But don't turn the ball over, as you said, because then you're giving up easy points. Um, And offensively for Boston, smart shots, intelligent shots. (laughs) We don't need a bunch of smart shots. We need intelligent shots, intelligent shot selection, and your big guys got to get some action inside. Cannot lose points in the paint like that. I need Al Horford. Where's the lefty hook? I, I need to see a lefty hook somewhere in there because they're overplaying your right hand think. like crazy. If Al Horford is in the is in the paint and he's five feet from the rim, shoot it. Put it up. Jalen, Jason, go into and through the contact of him. Those guys are ready to just hack away. Even Draymond, he hacks all the time. And they know most of the time it's not going to get called. But guess what? If you get hacked 15 times in a game, and at least you're going up and going hard, you're going to get to the line. And maybe a guy fouls out because they call half of them. If you only go up hard like five times, you're not going to get many calls. So aggressive offensively, intelligent offensively, and defensively just try and bottle stuff up. Don't give him anything easy. Um, And maybe the third quarter is another key. But – well, I that there's like no thing. answers like, for that. Like, the answer for that well, is to I'm do out of the half awake. Well, that that, the answers the answers for that is to just just do the things we just rattled off. Like, because those are the things they were not doing uh, at all uh, in games one and two. The other um, thing I would like to see is instead of looking for contact and looking for a foul, go up strong to the basket and try to make the hoop because. Exactly. More often than not, you're not going to get a foul call. That's what I'm saying. Doesn't matter who you are, Tatum, Smart, Grant Williams. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what I'm saying. If half the time you get a call, if you only go up hard to try and score like five times, that means you're only going to get like two or three calls. Whereas yeah. if you continually, like you'd think, I wanted Tatum or Brown to see what Jimmy Butler did, and Tatum a little bit in the third quarter was trying to, you know, buoy the ship. By doing that, he went like three possessions in a row right at the rim, and he got to the line. And it's great. It slows the game down. You get easy points. A foul in free throws is somewhat, you know, like deflating to a defense. Like, and it, and it, and it can then you can get to set your defense as well. Like, I, you want to talk about Al Horford mismatches? Wanted to how see about, more of that. How about Tatum mismatches? If if oh exactly, Jason Tatum has Steph Curry. Or Jordan Poole on him, which he did a bunch of times. Just go right at them. Do not yeah. pass. I know you want to pass the ball to make the right play, and sometimes it is a good play. Go right at those guys. Yeah, no, totally agree. Hundred percent agree. You you have size advantages like that. You have to take advantage. Um, so I think I think the Warriors win Game Three. Celtics win Game Four, and then they're gonna lose Games Five. In, in Golden State, and then the Celtics will come home and finally play a good game at home. I think this series now is going seven. If the Celtics win tomorrow, there's there's a there's a it, it bodes really well for them to maybe get the series over in six. But if the Celtics lose tomorrow, I think this thing goes seven because the Celtics just have been so good on the road, and then their backs are against the wall again, and it's just is where they like to play. It's where they play their best. Um, but I, I I really do feel the winner of Game Three is probably winning this series. 
Um, if it's the Warriors who win tomorrow, the series will go seven. Um, if the Celtics win tomorrow, it could be over sooner than that. Um, because then you'd have a game four up to one. Who knows how the rest of it goes. But um, the winner tomorrow, I think, has the biggest chance and odds of winning. I know it's still another home game for the Celtics in game four. But I really feel like tomorrow is going to be the barometer for who wins this series. Yeah, uh, you pretty much said exactly what I was going to say. I think the Warriors probably win game three. And then I would put game four as a toss-up. I, I still think the Warriors probably win in six. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. I mean, what, what, what we've learned is that the Celtics look like when they play right, they're more than will able to hang. Like they don't, they're not getting phased by the other team, like by the Warriors hitting these crazy shots. The problem is that they were turning it over and letting them make crazy shots one after another. Uh, and you fall behind by 20. It doesn't matter how not phased you are. You're down 20. Um, that's the biggest thing playing any team. You can't let, like, a 10-0 run is going to happen with the Warriors. Don't let a 10-0 run become a 24-2 run. Uh, and that's what happened in Game 2. Um, so if the Celtics can avoid that, all these games should be close. Uh, I'm going to stick with Celtics in 7. Um, hopefully this series is not over by the time we take to the airwaves next week. But alas, we don't know. We will find out in the coming days. Um, one other bit of NBA news that I wanted to discuss before we transitioned. Um, Quinn Snyder stepping down as the head coach of the Utah Jazz. Uh, evidently catching the players off guard. Donovan Mitchell is shook and doesn't know what to feel. What is going on? And you like it's very you'd think if like the players wanted him out, it would be like, hey, he resigns, and the players would kind of be like, oh, you know, he was a great coach, blah, blah, blah. Like Looking forward to, you know, whatever comes next. You wouldn't be, like, Jason Tatum, when Brad Stevens got elevated upstairs, Tatum and Brown, nobody on the Celtics was like, we're shook. What is happening? Like, that doesn't happen. Like, when teams lose a head coach, if they wanted the guy out, they're pretty much, they, they, they stay the party line. This seems like maybe it was an ownership thing, and they offered to let him walk away instead of be fired. But the, that league's not afraid of firing people. Like, I, I don't know. It's very bizarre. I don't know what's going on there. Yeah, uh, no idea either. It's very strange, and I think that guy's obviously Snyder will be uh, lined up for a coaching job elsewhere. I would imagine pretty quickly if if he's interested. Who knows? Maybe it's a personal part, partly personal decision. But uh, there weren't really any rumblings of it, which is kind of strange for the for the NBA. Um, but there is something going on there in terms of Mitchell and Gobert now ownership and letting Snyder go. So there's a very strange situation happening in Utah overall. Yeah. Uh, he, he had a press conference uh, where he said that it was his decision, uh, but it was very vague. Um, like he kind of gave this like that, that he thinks that the, it's weird. It's like we talked about Brad Stevens stepping away and accepting that role you know, did he get fired, but they had to pay him, so they moved him upstairs. And he, he himself said, sometimes, he talked about, sometimes you need a new voice and blah, 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 blah. And, hey, Brad, instead of getting fired, like, we said it. And hey, honestly, guess what? We were kind of right on this. We, you know, at least, at least I was kind of right. You weren't sure how to feel. But we both agreed that maybe Brad is the perfect guy short term to pick the right players and the right coach for this team. 
because mm-hmm. he knows exactly he knows what the message needs to be and that they're not listening to it from him. So who's better to deliver the message for that group of players? Uh, this is kind of like what Snyder says. Uh, Snyder said that his decision simply came down to believing the team's players need a new voice to continue to evolve. Uh, and then he didn't – they asked him to elaborate on that, and he said, you know, I think as I tried to say in my statement, which was a challenge to try to capture a lot of what went into making a decision, it was just time. I tried to give a voice to that, and it really isn't any more complicated than that as far as trying to look into a lot of different reasons and things and things like that. I just felt like I got to a place where it was time. It, that, uh, did that, uh, things that, uh, that, that, over there, basically. A lot of nothing. He That's like 50 words with nothing said. Um, he actually continued, you try to be introspective and analyze and all those things, and I just got back to the same place. It was time. Time for the Jazz to move forward. Time for me to move forward. It just made the most sense to me. As much as I try to articulate that, it's not something that's easily done. Is this a case of the ownership didn't want to fire him, the players liked him, but it's the very rare instance in the NBA where an NBA coach who obviously those are prestigious positions, maybe he doesn't like the players. Possible, sure. Maybe yeah. he's like, you know what? I, I am sick of dealing with these babies uh, and these guys uh, and just was burnt out and just didn't want to do it anymore. That's a huge indictment on everyone on that team. <laughs> maybe he just didn't. Maybe there's too much drama or baggage in that locker room. Maybe he doesn't want to deal with it. Yeah, I mean, there's been stuff. I mean... We know, obviously, it's like eons ago. You feel like that's there's a million miles of water under the bridge. But like Gobert and Mitchell, like with the at the very beginning of COVID and all that stuff, like that wasn't yeah. good. Like in Ingles, like that that team had some some issues. Um, and there's been all the rumblings of how they can fit and like Rudy Gobert is like a max contract guy, and obviously isn't performing as a max contract guy. Like, what do we think happens now to that Jazz team? They're going to find a new head coach. I don't know who. Uh, evidently, there's a Celtics assistant who is like going to be a candidate for that. But like you're you're scraping the bottom of the barrel at this point now, uh, in the you know where you are in the process. If you're Utah, I feel like they're heading towards blow up city, right? Or like at least guys like unless they get a knock it out of the park higher, which I don't know who it would be right now. All those guys are going to want out, like especially Mitchell. Yeah, they're gonna be they're gonna be retooling that roster. Absolutely, no doubt about it. They have to. That's it. That's all I got. End of thought. Okay. All right. To transition to some other sports news and thoughts, and we'll. How's that for a hot take? Hot take, Christian here. Well, speaking of hot, it's time for hot and not. It's time for hot. Hot. You want to talk about hot? Hot. Please stop doing that. Doing what? Continue. Go and not. God, is he a moron. Oh my God, he doesn't shut up. It's so stupid. Stupid decisions. Dum-dums. The naughtiest knot of the year. Oof. Suck fest. Suck sauce. On the 360 Sports Show. All right, Christian. Hot and not. The up, the down, the good, the bad, pluses and minuses. I think you already stole my hot thunder, but I will I think you, you technically stole mine, but... I'll let, I'll 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 let myself have it. Uh, yeah, we we both have the same one, and I think, if memory serves, I sat here 
uh, pretty much one year ago to date and had the same hot for the same reason, uh, which is Rafael Nadal winning the French Open again uh, <laughs> for the 14th time. 14 and oh, Ridiculous. And he went through Djokovic, uh, I believe, in the quarters. And then won in four sets in the final. I think it was four. Maybe three. But the guy is just ridiculous. Also, he couldn't feel anything in his foot. He's been having <laughs> foot issues for a while. So uh, put put Rafa on clay, and it is game over. There is no sense in playing the match anymore. Uh, it should now be called the Rafael Nadal Open. Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of hit on it there. I mean... It's his 22nd Grand Slam title. Uh, that puts him two slam wins ahead of Djokovic and Federer. 14-0 uh, at the French Open. Uh, as you said, like, he's just unreal there. I mean, that's where he burst onto the scene in, what, like 05? Yeah. Uh, and, and then, you know, people said, oh, he's just a clay guy. Because there's been, you know, guys who are just good on clay. He's not. He's very good, if not great, if not elite pretty much anywhere he plays. Um, he has a chance. I mean, if his foot holds up, who knows? I mean, he could win all the slam titles this year, the way he's playing, if he if his foot holds up. Um, this has sparked this discussion. Is he the greatest of all time? Do you think that that's warranted? And, you know, is the discussion warranted? And then should that be a quick No. Uh, and and put the discussion away. How do you feel about the the chatter now about Nadal being called potentially the greatest of all time? It's a really really interesting topic because I think you have guys like Federer, you have obviously Djokovic is very good, Sampras like he's in the he's in the conversation. I don't know if I put him one, um, but I I will say he is the greatest of all time on clay, and it's not yeah. even close. Yeah. I, I don't think anybody's even in the same uh, universe as him on clay. Uh, the other part of it, the the goat conversation, everybody wants to go right to the goat. Who's the goat? Uh, I don't know. I, I He's in the conversation for sure. I think he's probably one of two or three guys. I think they're all in that conversation. Yeah. I think the conversation, like you said, go on clay. Uh, I, I think the conversation can be had. You can, you can, you can start a dialogue. We can start a discussion mm -hmm. um, until his career is over. Uh, you can't just settle it. Now I know it's like you can't take away things guys did. You know, if he goes on to like lose three more French Opens and he's ooh, oh, he's fourteen and three. Like I, I don't, I don't take that. I don't de detract that uh, for for any guy in any sport, individual or team, like continuing to get to championship level play and whether he wins and loses after somebody's won this much. But um, the discussion can be had. Uh, I'm not ready to like, just say proclaim uh, that he is the greatest of all time just yet. I mean, 22 slams is for someone like me who I put just cause a lot Djokovic of... isn't done yet either. Like it's, oh, I know, but I'm know? just saying like, I put a lot of stock into the, into the championships, grand slams, whatever PGA tour championships. Uh, he's in the conversation. He has to be. Yes. It's him, Federer, Djokovic. And it was Sampras at one point. Uh, he has since been just absolutely wiped away by these three guys. It's just insane what the three of them have done. Yeah. So the discussion can be had. Um, 
on to the knots. And I will start because I know your knot, Christian, will lead us into a much deeper discussion. Um, I'm going to discuss, take your pick, Deshaun Watson or the Cleveland Browns? Who Who is worse in this situation? The 24th lawsuit filed against Deshaun Watson this week for sexual harassment, misconduct, whatever label you want to put on it. Um, we don't have to go down the whole rabbit hole of his situation and, like, what's real, what's not, or, or, or is this just blood in the water and everybody's just trying to get to the feeding frenzy. Regardless, there's just so much happening uh, to the point where now the Browns are thinking about voiding the contract that they gave him. Who's Who looks worse in the situation, Deshaun or Cleveland? I don't know. Either way, it's a not. Yeah, and uh, like, so I, uh, you probably read this too. He booked massages with 66 different women over a 17-month span. Um, here's the thing. If you ask me A, B, who is worse, I would write in C and say all of the above. I think they're all parties are guilty here. Uh, but I kind of, I honestly kind of lean Browns because how are you going to avoid a contract that you just willingly gave a guy that you knew all this was out there in the open? Exactly. Yeah. The Browns, the Browns for stupidity reasons Yeah. are the uh, more not. Watson was in there before, so I can't really, nobody's going to take his crown right now. I mean, he's just like, it's just stupid and it's like dumb and dumber, I guess. Is, is that copyright? Can I say that? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah. Dumb and dumber. That's what I'll put a label on it. It yeah. Browns Watson, dumb dumber. No, dumberer in the dumbest. <laughs> Stupid and stupider. Stupid and stupider. Because I like uh, Dumb and Dumber. That's that's a quality movie. If, yeah. if we did a top five movies right now, that would be in it. Just top five movies of all time. Nah, I'm just top five. We'd uh, have to dra- We'd have to draft that. I know we yeah, probably have to, yeah. have different different tastes, but we would there. There might be some overlap where we we'd have to like draft a top ten. Draft a top ten. That's what we would do. There you go. But it's in there somewhere. We could easily fill out top ten movies. The Browns and the and the Watson category here, stupid and stupider. See now, Rocky would be in my top ten movies of all time. I knew you'd take the bait on this. As soon as I said top five, I knew you'd go right to it. <laughs> uh, it's not in my top five sports movies of all time, but it would be in my top ten movies of all time. Uh, anywho, that'll stir the pot. Now the comment section is going to explode because yeah, uh, anything, anytime we get onto a non-sports topic. Um, anywho, top five. Spicy chicken nuggets. Go, chat. <laughs> hey, we had. I live near. So, for those of you who maybe have noticed, uh, Pez, the background looks a little different. Uh, it's unknown. I'm in the new home in so New Hampshire. The move is complete. Out in the uh, woods. We are. I am out in the country. Um, no more ocean right out my window. Uh, but now I have birds and critters and. Maybe maybe here in a little bit, if we stay on late enough, we might hear a coyote or two. Nice. Uh, so the the sounds of nature. Um, so the studio will be in a, in, in a constant state of evolution. Uh, obviously, right now, we just have a uh, empty bookshelf. Uh, the, par- the, the sports paraphernalia will get up onto the walls uh, eventually. Quality. For now, for now, we just got the big three for a little, little Celtics luck. Um, but anyway, moving along, Christian. Uh, Give me your not, and then we're going to have the the long discussion about it. 
Yes. Uh, this came, uh, this broke, I want to say, at a, uh, at a random time. Uh, must have been yesterday or the day before. I, I can't even remember. I think it was point. yesterday. I, I want to say it was yesterday night. But either way, the Bruins are very good at, see, this is why I can't remember. The Bruins are very good at dumping crap news at night. Like, you know, they just fired their head coach instead of Don Sweeney, who has screwed up the whole thing. But uh, yeah, that's my not. Bruce Cassidy fired as head coach of the Boston Bruins. Don Sweeney, Cam Neely, all good to go. They're staying where they are as GM and whatever Cam Neely does. Uh, I, I just think this is the most bogus President thing of eating snacks in a press box operations. Yeah, and throwing water bottles. Um, I I think this is ludicrous, in my opinion. I, I don't mind that, uh, and not the rapper, uh, all respect to him, but and, and actor. But I will say that uh, absolutely a colossal mistake here by, by the Bruins. Um, can't blame ownership. They're not even in the picture. They don't even know what's going on. But <laughs> uh, Cam Neely, Don Sweeney, they played together. They're buddies. So, you know, you can't fire your buddy. But those two guys have clearly kind of teamed up and scapegoated Bruce Cassidy, which if you look at the town on the ice, you know it's not a coaching uh, coaching problem. Here's where I stand on this. If you want to get rid of Cassidy, sure. You want a new voice, absolutely fine. You need a new GM, too, with that. The GM picks the coach, and and you're off and running. Not fire the coach. Basically dump everything on his shoulders. He was the problem. He's not very good with the young guys. Uh, you know, our, The young our guys who suck? <laughs> our prospects uh, haven't really gotten enough of a chance, and he's kind of like benched them. Here's what I like to say to Don Because they suck. Sweeney has drafted nothing but crap for the last five years. And and maybe seven, seven seven years, yeah. But in the last five, I don't think they have a player in the last five. I think I heard this today, right? And I think I heard it right. If I didn't, whatever. I, I don't care. Uh, I'm gonna say it anyway because it helps me. It helps my narrative. <laughs> but uh, in the last five years, they don't have a player drafted by the team in the NHL. <laughs> it's 2017. It's either 2017 or 2019. I don't remember. But let's look. It's just. It's time after time you see what the the talent level is on the ice, whether it's Providence, guys like Stanika or Seneshin or Zaborol or you you name a guy that he's drafted, not right, good enough. Ready? Let's 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 play this game. Let's go yeah, back in time. Uh, so we'll do last year. Uh, we'll run through these names: Fabian Lysel, Brett Harrison, Phillips Svedback. Svedebeck, I guess. Oscar Jelvik, Ryan Mast, Andre Gasso, Ty Gallagher. Nope. Just uh, do rounds one to three because the rest are whatever. Gotcha. Like, they, they, that's basically just all luck past the third round. Fine. So uh, 2020, Mason, Laurie, Trevor, Kuntar. No. Are either of them in the NHL? John Beecher, Quinn Olsen. No. Axel Anderson and Jakob Luko. Euro Vakaninen, Jack Studnika, Jeremy Swayman was round four. So 2017. So there you go. You got a guy who's on your team and plays in the NHL. Any guy not named McAvoy or uh, Swayman on that list has not made any type of impact on the NHL team. Yeah. 
I mean, you, you talked about it. Like, Zaboral, right? DeBrusque, Seneshin, that draft. I mean, you got Carlo. But then, like, even then, you had all those second-round picks. Forz Baca, Carlson, Lausanne. Like, guys that are, eh, You're not winning. Just because it's pissed me off so much, we can just look at 2015. And I'll look at that. Uh, on paper, you can look at 12 guys that could have been drafted after... DeBrusque, Zaboral, and Seneshin. Uh, and at the time, all the league scouts and everybody was like, what the hell are the Bruins doing? It's not a coaching issue. I'm sorry. Do you think because they got a new voice in there now? I mean, look, the team is going to be in disarray anyway because of all the injuries and stuff and Bergeron leaving potentially. But it's not a coaching problem. I'm sorry. It's just not. And and for, for Sweeney... I wouldn't have an issue if it was Sweeney and Cassidy. We need to just kind of clean slate there. Let's get two new guys in and see what we have. It's way worse when Cam Neely and the guy he played with, his buddy Don Sweeney, are just sitting up there in, uh, at level nine, wherever the hell they are, throwing water bottles and watching the games while Cassidy is actually trying to coach the bunch of crap that they put on the ice with him. Yeah. Yeah, I can tell you. Talent. I can tell you here. Be, from, since. 2017, Swayman, Studnika, Vakanainen all have gotten NHL time. Um, How much time? 2018 till now. Want to know the total number of NHL games played, whether with the Bruins or not, between all of their draft picks? I'd guess it's probably... Take Swayman out of it, I guess it's probably... No, twenty after 2017, Swayman was drafted okay. in... 20, so the 2018, 19, 20, and 21 draft. I'm going to get Zero! Zero! A fat goose egg. Zero impact players. I mean, who knows what Lee Sell is. Lee Sell is Lori and uh, Lori and uh, Lee Sell are the guys. But you drafted John Beecher, who's a projected probably now third or fourth line center. Like, what are we drafting for? Yeah, and now everybody's trying to trade Pasternak today. This can get into a bigger conversation. It's you know. Uh, Fludo Shinzawa, I, I believe he's with the Globe, is reporting that they might be interested in trading Pasternak because he's not going to sign here for you know a, a, a take a like a home count hometown discount. And why would he at this point? What a what's home around count him? discount? Home hometown discount. Uh, and why would a he? Hometown discount. <laughs> you don't even know what's around you at this point, and, and this team's not going anywhere fast. It's not like they're in the cup conversation. Are the Bruins no. going to pay him ten million dollars? So if you want to trade David Posternock for picks and stuff, I, I welcome this because I, I can't wait for the day he drafts, you know, uh, Jakob Flusenberg, popsicle boy from wherever, Sweden. And so, <laughs> he works so at, we've got Wally's guy, Buttersworth, who, who Danny Age likes to draft. And, and now we've got, <laughs> what's his name now from Sweden? Jakob Flutelsworth, I think is what I said. Jakob Flutelsworth. The popsicle, popsicle stand boy. owner from Sweden. Uh, like, <laughs> this is, this is, so you're going to take, like, say that, say the, the Bruins today trade to Pasternak for the fourth overall pick or something. And then they drafted Jakob Flutelsworth from <laughs> Sweden. Flutelsborg. Flutelsborg. Uh, is he going to be a protected fourth line right winger? Because that's what you're looking at with Don Sweeney. But here we are. Fire yeah. the coach. Yeah, I mean, I saw the notification, you know, breaking Boston Bruins fire, and I was like, oh, good, Sweeney's gone. Awesome. 
And then I open it, and it's like Bruce Cassidy. I'm like, they don't get it. What? And I was like, oh, okay. Give it a half hour. Sweeney will be gone too. Nope. Uh, I said this, what? I think it was as coming into the trade deadline in 2020. I think I said this team right now, like kind of where they are, like should honestly just sell. Because if they try to like, if they try to buy and put pieces here and add to a kind of an eh team, you're just making it way worse on the back end. Whereas if you had bitten the bullet and done the hard thing and just said, you know what, maybe we trade Krejci for a t- to a team that's a, a real contender and will give us a prospect. Uh, the one problem is the the one problem with your logic on selling. Well, technically they did sell. They got Fabian Liesel in the draft. But if you sell off all these pieces. They, they they clearly cannot identify talent. Oh, oh and they this, can't this develop what I'm the talent. That's what I'm saying. So you're it's just like, going to the bottom of the league, which it, the ownership group for all their non-existent, they're not here. They're they don't know what's going on. They're not going to go to the bottom of the league if they get one playoff game. That's worth it for them. Well, what I'm saying is like they could have avoided having to go to the bottom of the league by not just so like desperately holding on to this idea of like we can win a Stanley Cup. You have to know. When your team actually can and when they actually can't. Now, a coach is always going to say, my team's got a shot. And I believe in our guys. Management's job is to say, no, I don't think we do this year. And I'm going to make the moves that will put this team continually in the best position to succeed. They have not done that. And even some of the guys that they've swung for, they've missed. I mean, you went out and you know, you, you've got guys that like helped you for a playoff run. Great. And then they gave they gave you know you, you you give a guy a long-term contract when he clearly doesn't shouldn't really get it and they have so many I mean they are again stuck and bleeped now because you've got guys who maybe now probably won't want to be here who are your best players and nothing in the pipeline and a completely putrid GM. So I don't even know organizationally if they will make the playoffs next year. Um, they and I think it's going to get real bad before it gets better. Because as you said, be, you got ownership that don't care. So they're going to be in. Uh, they care about playoff games. They just don't care about cups. But the 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 other part of it is like, for all my gripes with Sweeney and not being able to draft, then he goes out and signs guys like Backus, Rick Nash for a first round pick, and he's trading all these first round picks for nobody. That's and then you have to trade David Backus and his crap contract and get rid of a first-round pick with him just to get rid of a contract. So he screwed that up too, but here we are. We're firing the coach because uh, the talent's not good enough, the drafts haven't been good enough, and then you know the young guys don't like the coach, I guess. I, I, that's what it seems like. I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, dare I say, Christian... Do the Bruins get put away? Or are they left on the table here until they uh pick a coach? Uh I think they're they're on the uh They're sitting they're on the bench. On the bench in front of the locker. They're on the bench in front of the locker. The door is just ajar. It's waiting to beckon and suck them in. Like Kirby. Kirby is winding up to to suck in the Boston Bruins here. 
Yes, I know. Someone will go and freeze frame that. I am well aware. It's happened. <laughs> luckily, yeah. luckily here, I don't think I've frozen yet. The funniest part is Knock it's probably good. Knock out all the wood with the, the Fios now. Is... That's the biggest thing here is Verizon oh, yeah. Fios, yeah, baby. That's true. And, no and more frozen frames of me like... If you can just get out of the wind tunnel with that Go XLR, you're good. Uh, the the only the, the funniest part about that is the most ironic part is the person that's going to take the screenshot is probably yourself. <laughs> probably, most likely. I'm I'm totally self deprecating. I don't care. Whatever gets us the clicks. Um, let's talk quickly uh, about the the rest of the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. I almost thought it could have been a knot, um, in, in a sense that the Colorado uh, Oilers series. Uh, the Avs Oilers series did not go seven games because just outside of game two, games one, three, and four were just sick. <laughs> I mean, just insane end-to-end back-and-forth action. Uh, the Oilers obviously blow game four. I mean, you're down 3-0. Series is probably over anyways against a really good Colorado team, but um, you blow a 3-1 lead, you trail, and then have to tie it, and you lose in overtime, back-breaking. Uh, Disappointing that we don't get to see more games in that series because um, I was hoping for a long series because it was exciting hockey. Yeah, I was hoping it for at least uh, six games. Instead, we get a nice clean sweep and an absolute implosion by the, the Oilers last night. But you want to talk about two teams that have some talent. Uh, both those teams have some great individual talent. One of the one of the best plays of the playoffs so far is Kel McCarr on Connor McDavid defensively. It was just ridiculous one-on-one. Um, not many, not many people can, can stick with Connor McDavid one-on-one in, in the NHL, Never mind three-on-one, uh, as we've seen before, but I think the avalanche are just better. Uh, I was hoping we'd get some more hockey out of it, but Hey, here we are sweep city. And then the other side, the other side, we're getting more hockey. So, but it should be an entertaining cup final. I would think no matter who comes through the East, I would rather see the Rangers, but Hey, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, one last Bruins note. Nick does say in the comment section, Bruins hire Bergeron as head coach. Who says no? I do. <laughs> yep. No. That dude, That dude. if he's healthy, wants to play. Uh, and if he wants to retire, he's definitely not going to step into a box because he will be completely and utterly overwhelmed. That would be that would be a worst-case scenario epic failure. Um, it does not work. You need to get actual coaching experience first. Maybe in yeah. five years. You would have to go to Providence first. Yeah. Which could work. I think that guy has coaching. Does he want to, though? I, I think know. he has coaching DNA. Does he want to? Can he identify talent? We need some of that in the box. Mm. Yes. Uh, speaking of the other series, Nick also points out Igor Shesterkin equals wagon. Uh, he has been lights out. Um Talk about a find for, I mean, the Rangers. You go from Lundqvist, and, you know, he was the guy there for, for so long, King Henrik, and, yeah, are kind of able to, not seamlessly, but you pretty much, like, you got another guy. Like, you're going to be set there again for, what, 10, 12 years uh, at, at oh, goaltender? Yeah. He's probably uh, going to win the Vezina as well this year. Yeah, I mean, that he's just been unreal, uh, and they are up 2-1. to one. Uh, in that in series, um, I mean, Tampa Bay swept Florida, which I didn't see coming, uh, and then trails this series two to one. Um, how do you They're see? They're winning tonight, though. How do you see? I'll say. How do you see the rest of this series playing out? Uh, I think it probably goes six or seven. To be honest with you, I mean, the Rangers were absolutely ridiculous at home. 
Um, and then they kind of were in it to the end. And then with like, I don't even know how much time um, was left under a minute. Uh, Tampa Bay stole one in game three. So anything, a bounce of a puck in these games, just it's so close. Um, I would guess yeah, it probably 42 was seconds, 42 seconds. Yeah, left. just that's killer if you're the Rangers because you were in that game all the way through in Tampa. Um, but ultimately they do have home ice. So, and they've played really well at home throughout. I don't, I don't know if they've even lost a the game there. They haven't in the last two series now. Um, they're probably five and zero in their last five. So I like the Rangers, I hope, but Tampa Bay is still so loaded. It's just ridiculous. This team's going to go to a third straight cup final. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, they'll probably win at home tonight. Uh, and I do think it's a series that will go seven. Um, and we'll see, you know, uh, does the pressure mount on uh, Shesterkin? That's that's what will be the key uh, in a series like that against the defending champion Lightning. Two-time defending champion Lightning. I don't make me say it. Um, yeah, and we'll talk about them versus the Avs. We'll just admit it. We'll talk about the Lightning versus the Avs. When we get there, I don't know. The, the, the Lightning got to beat uh, New York on their home ice, though. Somebody's got to beat them on their home ice. Yeah. We'll Call see. Call them the Carolina Hurricanes. So, uh, that is going to do it for us here tonight, folks. Thanks to everybody who tuned in and listened live. We are live every Monday or Tuesday. Stick to our social media for the links and the updates on which night we'll be broadcast to you. I think we'll agree here, Christian. We'll do Tuesday next week, seeing as how. We'll get Game 5 of the NBA Finals out of the way we'll, first. We'll recap the NBA Finals and what a disappointment it was. <laughs> now, we're going to talk about how the Celtics won because they swept at home and then they took Game 5 in uh, the new yeah. Oracle. That's what we'll discuss. Yep. Yeah. So I just have to counterbalance your negativity, man. I don't think that's going to happen, but I have to put it out there. I'm Somebody being has to push back. You're being, you live in fantasy land. I'm being realistic. I have to. It's it's the equation balancing itself, Christian. I come to meet you. I I am your the Neo to your Agent Smith. You just think losing's inevitable. Oh, uh, it is. <laughs> it usually is. Uh, so that's gonna do it for us here. If you missed the show live, you can rewatch it on any of our platforms, or you can take us to go as a podcast through Sounder FM or wherever you get your podcasts from. That'll do it, folks. I'm Andrew Pizzelli. He's Christian Lauber. Have a good night, everybody. See you later.